Right, uh, we have Alicia and Frank from Smart Bear here today to talk us through uh, something very exciting. Uh, but before we do, let's get some introductions. So, um, do you both want to kick off? Tell us what you do at Smart Bear. Sure, uh, I'll start, I guess. Um, yeah, so my name is Frank Kilcommons. Uh, I'm an API technical evangelist at SmartBear. So that's basically all things API. Um, so work supporting the product teams, engineering, and then out in the community working with uh, the Open API initiative and, and other folks like that. Um, so I'm a software engineer and architect by trade and yeah, just, just love APIs. So I thought no better place to be than, than SmartBear. Um, my name is Alicia Foreman, um, and Lewis, it's a pleasure to be on your podcast today. Um, I'm also working with Frank um, at SmartBear in the API lifecycle team. Um, I joined uh, SmartBear just over 12 months ago when SmartBear acquired Packflow. Um, it's been a really exciting journey that we've been on. I've been working with um, some of your previous guests, Matt Fellows and Yusuf Nabi. Um, they are colleagues and good pals of mine, um, as you can tell by my accent as well. I'm also located in Melbourne, Australia, um, and looking forward to really talking to you guys today about um, the State of Software Quality Report um, and all of the insights that we've gathered. Brilliant. Yeah, I, want, I wanted to get you on the pod to talk about it because I think obviously there's some great uh, stuff in there related to contract testing. But before we get into that, do you want to give me a kind of brief intro into what the highlights were uh, from the report in general? Absolutely. Maybe if we just start off with a brief little background um, on the report. So we've um, SmartBase been running the State of Software Quality API report now for a number of years. And so each year we're putting out this report and we're sharing um, not only those most recent insights, but also looking at trends that we're seeing um, industry across everything, um, APIs from the tools and technologies and methodologies around that through to testing and quality challenges that um, our audience are seeing in the future as well. This year we had just over a thousand uh, respondents come into our survey, um, which was fantastic, and and they sort of range um, across many industries and lots of different roles as well. Just to give you a bit of a background on those roles, we had quite an increase this year around test automation engineers and QAs, as well as architects and then full stack engineers as well. So that's our representative um, of that that particular audience. Lewis, some of the highlights, I think um, Frank's got a, a couple to run through, but one that I thought that was really interesting is to just the continued top driver that we see for, for API growth being microservices. We know that um, this is this is a growing area and, and, and specifically, you know, referencing, I guess, regional or um, different regions in, in the world, how they're adopting their, how they're adopting microservices is really, um, it's, a, it's a trend that is growing and changing. We heard this year's report told us that um, 62% of respondents are attributing um, their API growth to their microservices. However, about 50% are also believing that there's a top challenge for them to have success around their microservices, and that, that is in relation to having the right skills and experience amongst their people in their organization. So I think as, as organizations are um, wanting to enhance their, their the digital heart of their business and continue to bring that uh, best experience for their end users, there are demands on the teams that are delivering the, the solutions that they have to move faster and often with less, um, especially in our current environment. So ideally, we're wanting to, to make sure that they have the right tools um, and experience and skills to be able to continue to grow that. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, and, and maybe to, to kind of even go into some of the other things that we're seeing kind of coming back, being representative across the cohort. 
the good thing is that there seems to be a positive awareness and, and outlook with regards to API quality. So API quality does seem to be front and center in, in everyone's mind. So there was around 78% of the respondents uh, marked uh, API quality as being either extremely or very important to, to the success of their organization. And there was good awareness as to the risk of poor quality. So obviously if there's brush design or development, and that can lead to poorer quality. And, and there's really, I suppose, an acute awareness as to the organizational impact that can have. Now, I'm a firm kind of advocate for the role that people play in, in the delivery of API. So it was encouraging to see that uh, the impact on the teams and the people within the teams ranked as the number one risk when it comes to poor quality API. So uh, I think 49% came back saying that their teams would, would lose uh, time and spend more time troubleshooting uh, issues uh, in the absence of quality. And there can also be more organizational level uh, impacts as well, like losing customers or experiencing uh, brand reputational damage within the market as well. And to address this, everyone seems to be focusing more on API testing. Uh, so we did see that the vast majority are implementing kind of rigid uh, testing uh, patterns uh, that are robust and covering the different flavors of APIs. And there's been a 13% decrease in the numbers who have not yet applied um, an API testing strategy. So that would, for me, at least point out that they're already well on their way to having a, a testing process in place uh, for their APIs to try and maximize the quality. When it comes to the overall kind of challenges that are being faced by the demographic that we surveyed. Uh, the top challenges remain the same. Uh, standardization is is coming back still as number the number one industry challenge that's been faced, and that's that's not a surprise. Uh, it's good to see that security uh, is coming in at number two as well because uh, API uh, attack vectors are increasing exponentially. You know, the more APIs we expose, obviously, the more uh, surface area that's there to be attacked. Um, and we also saw that composability and multipurpose reuse also uh, scored quite highly in, in a challenge. And I think this is also pointing back to teams looking to get proof of the return and investment that they have um, with regards to, let's say, the, the tactics or the architectures that they've applied over the last number of years to move more into a composable or microservices based architecture. They now want to see um, kind of proof on the pudding, so to speak, that that's uh, returning value for their organization as well. One of the interesting things that I kind of took from the overarching survey, Lewis, is that there's there seems to be a slight disconnect between uh, the providers and the consumers with regards to what makes a quality API, which I thought was a little bit interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, so we saw that 78% of the survey group regarded themselves as API providers. So they're, they're a corp, their organization or their team are building APIs but they're also consuming APIs and they are very in tune with uh, the, the needs of an API consumer. Uh, but when we looked at, um, are they able to deliver the attributes that consumers regard uh, as important, important, which is API availability, API performance, API documentation, mm -hmm. then we saw that there was a little bit of a mismatch there. So when they put on that con consumer hat, and critiqued what they were doing from a provider perspective. Uh, only 48% were actually confident that their APIs were well documented and approximately 43% were unsure that their processes would deliver the uh, developer experience that they themselves would expect of a provider 
they were indeed in the consumer seat. And I thought that was very, very interesting because it, it points to kind of the challenge that we have and um, making life easier for teams to produce uh, high quality APIs. Yeah, definitely. And that falls so nicely into the relationship uh, in contract testing, which I really like. And, and it's really nice that that's coming out of that report as well. And yeah, I think in general, I think a lot of the stuff is what I've been seeing and what I've been talking to people about. Obviously, previously, we were talking about like open API on the podcast. So yeah, it's good to see those kind of challenges being faced within the industry and hopefully uh, being tackled by the people that that need to be involved. Thank you so much for, for doing that. So some of the kind of pieces from that we took out of the report, I think Frank, you were talking about um, like multiple protocols um, and you described it as like a, a melting pot of protocols being adopted. So what can you elaborate a bit on that and what, and what do you mean by that? Yeah, sure. Um, I think there, there's quite a lot of kind of content and material out there in the industry. I think it's 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 the nature of software development and testing uh, in general. You know, we all want to move on to the new shiny thing to a certain degree. And then there's a lot of material kind of saying, you know, REST is dead and you need to move on to GraphQL or, or GRPC or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah. But what we're actually seeing in the majority of enterprises <clears throat> is that the modern integration landscape is, and as I described it, it's a bit of a melting pot of the different protocols and API styles that are out there. You know, there is no silver bullet. I kind of still feel that I can bring this saying in my back pocket coming from a software architecture background and, and it, it, the answer to most questions is it depends and it really does. So it, it depends on the problem that you're trying to solve with the API that you, you are about to deliver towards certain consumers. And so what, what's the problem that you're trying to solve? Uh, what are the constraints of any particular style? What are the constraints of the team or the organization that you find yourself in? Uh, all of those things kind of combined, plus the consumer expectations with regards to uh, what type of technology and style they're also equipped to be able to deal with should lead you to the place where you can select the right API style to address the problem. So it's not a, a one size fits all approach. You need to be aware and teams need to be aware of, of the law of instrument. And just because you might be familiar with REST uh, doesn't mean that REST will be the right API style uh, for every problem that you're trying to solve. And it's never really a comparison versus REST versus SOAP versus GraphQL or whatever the case may be. As I said, they all have pros and cons, so select the right one. And don't be afraid to broaden uh, your API stack to be able to cover more of those styles because that can lead you to a place where you have a better overarching experience for your consumers. Uh, in certain instances, it'll make perfect sense to have a request response type of interaction. And in others, it will make much more sense to have a more event-driven uh, architecture approach. And that's what we're seeing. So what we're seeing is approximately 80% uh, are indicating that they're using one or more protocol or one or more styles, and, and about 60% are using three or more. And that's been baked up um, or backed up, should I say, by the popularity of different standards and, and specifications that accompany some of those different styles. So as you mentioned, OpenAPI is an example there. So that's absolutely the most popular API specification out there right now. And that goes hand in hand with the popularity of REST. And we're also seeing JSON schema increase in, in use 
And again, that can also be backed up by, by the rise that we're seeing in event-driven architecture and uh, the async API specification that, that's accompanying that in many areas, both open API and async API also leverage JSON schema. So we're, we're seeing kind of a more broad adoption of this within the delivery space as well, which is encouraging. Yeah, I think that's an interesting interaction point with what you were saying about the skills requirements is the fact that like more protocols are being adopted, but one of the biggest challenges is the people and the skills to be able to deliver it. So I think that's quite an interesting insight to, yeah, that's going to be tricky to, to navigate. Yeah, and I think that's where tooling comes in as well, <clears throat> you know, so... You know, I'm a big advocate for, for API specifications and, and the affordance that they bring to the provider side of the equation, but also the consumer side. And the beauty about specifications is that they're also machine readable. And so that affords the likes of us as a tooling vendor to be able to, to build tools which can interoperate well with these specifications and hopefully allow a, a more seamless process for for teams who are trying to navigate the, the whole API landscape. Yeah, definitely. And brings us on to the first time contract testing being included in the report, which I think is amazing. And so, yeah, what kind of trends are we seeing around that now that we have it included? Mm, yes, super excited to have um, contract testing feature this year. Obviously, Packflow joining the SmartBear family, it's now you know part of um, what we what we do, and we've recognised that it's a it's a really important component of you know testing strategy. So it was included in our questionnaire this year, and um, we had about a fifth of our survey respondents express that they're using contract testing. Now this was against a question in relation to the types of testing methodologies that are used around APIs. Interestingly, I guess, just as a comparison, and, and sometimes I guess, Lewis, you, some might explain contract testing as a you know a form of unit testing. Unit testing was really the top the top um, point that came out um, in this particular question that it is the dominant testing technique that we see for a lot of our company, a lot of companies. And sometimes I think if you're having a little trouble getting your head around the concept of contract testing, it can actually be useful to sort of think about it in that um, that unit testing style. I guess with that, that that point, you know, understanding that contract testing is there. I'm preaching to the converted, obviously. <laughs> I'm having people listening to this podcast. <laughs> Lewis, you can probably rattle all of this off for me, but, you know, it's, it's really going to be able to help um, organisations restore those service, out, service outages. One thing that we did also find out um, with our survey is that, you know, for respondents who were willing, they were asked how quick um, could they restore their services, we had a percentage of 64 that were able to do that within two hours. Now, if you're adding contract testing as well, that actually increased um, that number to 66% who were able to restore um, their services within two hours. So we're seeing a, a really positive correlation there between um, bringing together um, contract testing as a, as a means to deliver services um, or stand up services uh, when they're down um, a whole lot faster um, than maybe previously that you would have. And that's obviously paired with a bunch of the other benefits that we see as well. So yeah, really, really positive insight. And I think this year, first year that we've asked about it, and then, you know, going forward, we look forward to um, getting some more trend data around that too. Yeah, I think that's really cool that you can see the actual kind of, yeah, Dora metrics being observed within within this report as well, which is really cool. And then 
yeah, hopefully we'll see the adoption and, and kind of the importance of contract testing increase over time as well with more people kind of becoming aware of it. I think definitely recently much more people have been interested in it and then with bi-directional hopefully the adoption will become much easier and then yeah I think we'll see that trend increase over time as well. Absolutely I think we're all here on a shared mission aren't we to <laughs> tell the world about contract <laughs> testing. <laughs> I'm passionate about APIs and passionate about contract testing um, and I, I do really it's it's wonderful to, to speak to people and hear the evidence of how it can really support it so looking forward to continuing to report that through this report as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah definitely. I think it makes sense too. Like if you look at some of the other <clears throat> kind of challenges and, and trends that, that are emerging from the data, you know, we're seeing evidence that there's a continued shift left approach. There's more responsibility falling onto, you know, API designers, uh, developers and testers. Everyone wants to be able to release faster. Microservices is seen as one of the, the dominant kind of growth drivers. Now, it doesn't necessarily matter how you slice and dice the microservice. Uh, if you want to call it a micro monolith, uh, it doesn't necessarily matter. But what you do want to make sure of is that you can safely uh, extend and enhance that capability over time without necessarily having to uh, suffer the consequences of kind of a major version proliferation. You know, if you don't understand how consumers are interacting with, with the service area uh, of that API, then all you can assume is that the full surface area manifests itself into the contract and it can make it a little bit more rigid with regards to how you extend that over time. So the insights that contract testing can provide you very, very early in your iteration, you know, it, it's excellent to, to be able to allow you to understand, is this change going to impact anyone? If it does impact anyone, who does it impact? You can have sensible conversations with them again, back to the people side of it and decide how you want to release that enhancement into the wild. Awesome. So yeah, obviously other things that are coming out of the report in terms of, and we can not mention it, is the AI being an emerging driver for API growth. So yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, Frank. Why, why, how do you see that going in the future? It's, yeah, it's such a hot topic right now. It's really hard to get away from at least mentioning it, but, but we did see it creep, creep up and um, this year. So, uh, in the totality of the report, uh, AI and machine learning uh, are seen as the the number three in the list um, from, from a driver perspective uh, across certain industry segments and for smaller company sizes, it was actually up, up to number two. But I think there's quite a nice networking effect that will be possible and will be happening between APIs and AI. Obviously, um, we all want to reap the benefits that uh, AI can offer to us and allow us to become more efficient in, in the work that we're doing and for it to execute kind of tasks under our instruction uh, with the right level of confidence that it will execute those tasks correctly. And then that's where AI will start uh, interacting with APIs much, much more. And then what we'll have is that we'll have the next wave of creators uh, standing on top of the shoulders of various models and capabilities that will be, will be built and then they'll be exposing APIs on top of that uh, for the next models and so on and so forth. So I, I see that kind of network effect happening. Um, but APIs with regards to uh, making sure that what uh, an AI client can do on behalf of um, its 
let's say human peer will be critical because you want to to make sure that whatever is executed is is validated is critiqued and uh, properly and you need to be able to validate and ensure that the results are actually going to be correct and returned back to the human recipient of that information and again that's where uh, the power of apis can can really come into the fold nice yeah i think yeah it's a really good way to put it right? the human side of things is still uh gonna gonna be showing up definitely yeah it's it's um, like one thing i'm very encouraged by is you know even the let's say the the plugin uh, store or facility built by OpenAI, the, the core way uh, that the manifest is constructed and pulls in additional capabilities is through an open API definition, which is also very, very encouraging. So they're, they're putting that front and center. Interested personally, because I'm working in it within the, the workflow specification um, that, that's being matured within the uh, open API initiative umbrella, mm-hmm. which is all about kind of describing workflows across different API endpoints and even multiple open API um, source documents. Uh, this will even be a, a nicer way of describing um, how to execute business value use cases uh, in a machine and human readable way. And so I see certain capabilities there to drive kind of API under, or AI understanding of APIs even further. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That workflow stuff sounds really cool. Sweet. So we'll we'll wrap things up there. I think obviously we've only touched briefly on the aspects of the report. So do you want to tell us where people can read more about it and hear more about it as well? Of course, absolutely happy to. I guess we've got two great great resources that anyone who wants to dive into the the findings that we've shared today a little further, got a, a microsite and you'll find that at smartbear.com. Um, you'll be linked from the homepage um, or if you just search state of software quality API smartbear, that will pop up. That'll give you the the, the findings from um, this most recent report. And then there's also links on that page where you can download the full PDF report. And that has got year-on-year trend data, which can be quite insightful um, around some of those aspects of the, the things that we've spoken about today. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of information there. So <clears throat> I really would encourage anyone to... To, to get access to that data, it's, it's openly available. Some, some really nice insights that, of course, is way broader than we could cover in our, in our very quick conversation. I know I was lost in the data for, for a week or two anyway. I was fascinated about different industry skews and uh, trying, trying, trying to see some trends. So, yeah, great resource to have. Really cool. Yeah, yeah. I think some of the stuff you pulled out is really, really cool. Great. Anything else that you guys wanted to promote? Well, I can. <laughs> uh, we have we have we have a brand new tool out. Well, brand new. It's it's uh, eight weeks old at this point. It's called Swagger Hub Explorer, but it's a it's a free tool uh, to explore APIs. And I guess I was chatting with Alicia before and looking at we were talking about some of the findings that the report highlights as to what uh, their expectations are with regards to to API tooling. And one of the things that they they want to be able to do is to be able to uh, explore APIs easily. They want to be able to ensure that there's integrations with some of their existing tools. Um, and and this is you know one of the ways we leverage these reports is that we we try and really uncover what's important, uh, what folks are challenged with, and take that into our own learnings and and make sure that that feeds into the next wave of of products and capabilities that we're doing. So that's a nice little free tool out there if folks want to 
try it out and, and send us some feedback. We're quite young on our journey there, so people can really uh, jump on board and help uh, steer the direction of that product. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much both for, for coming and joining me on the podcast. And yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Lewis. Real pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us, Lewis. Lovely to chat to you.